Uh, welcome to Guru Live Glasgow. Uh, if you missed something today, we'll be releasing podcasts of today's sessions plus original content over the coming weeks. Details of all our platforms can be found at BAFTA Guru. Um, tell us about your experience and we'd love to see your highlights. Tag at BAFTA Scotland on Twitter using hashtag Guru Live and follow BAFTA Scotland on Instagram and share your pictures. I'm Sarah Brown, Head of Drama STV, and I'm pleased to be here to steer the conversation for this panel, Telling Stories TV Drama, part of our Telling Stories strand, looking at the importance of narrative in film, TV and games. And we're delighted to welcome our panellists. Sarah Phelps on my right. Uh, she started her TV career on EastEnders, going on to write a raft of hugely successful, critically acclaimed dramas, including The Crimson Field, The Casual Vacancy and Dickensian. She's adapted two Dickens novels for the BBC, Oliver Twist and Great Expectations, and has brought her own brilliant twist to no less than four Agatha Christie novels, shortly five, uh, and then there were none, Witness for the Prosecution, Ordeal by Innocence, and most recently, The ABC Murders. And that is just a tiny fraction of her credits. Uh, Louise, Ironside has <laughs> Louise Ironside has written on some of TV's most successful and popular dramas, including River City, The Split, Call the Midwife, of which more later, The Tunnel, and Law and Order UK. She's most recently been writing on a new show for ITV called Deep Water. Currently, Paul Logue's work can be seen in Shetland, of which he has written two episodes of the hugely popular BBC series, and we'll be looking at that later too. He's also written on numerous other series equally beloved by viewers, including Death in Paradise, Vera, Midsummer Murders, and DCI Banks. So all of you have followed quite similar routes into screenwriting. You have all um, worked on continuing drama series. Um, so I'd like to start by asking you, um, you know, how you started out and uh, how working on those shows helped you learn the craft and develop your writing. Sarah, do you want to start? Um, yes. Um, actually, what I did, but the, the way I got into EastEnders was um, I got a job working on the, the small but mighty Westway, the World Service soap opera, which... Um, was basically heard in the UK by sort of uh, lorry, long distance lorry drivers and pretty much no one else because it went out at four in the morning. But was, you know, was global. You know, you'd have letters and emails from people in, you know, working in power plants in really remote provinces of China because they were, it's a world service, it's amazing. And what happened was you'd have about two weeks from sort of handing your script in to hearing it read, to hearing it performed. And from that, I went to EastEnders, which also had not quite as a speedy turnaround, but sometimes it did when it got a bit frantic and a bit crazy. And the greatest experience is of learning a craft, which is being able to write and very quickly know when you're getting it right and when you are absolutely writing bollocks. And the, there, there's a very famous... Um, Harrison Ford quote from Star Wars where he says to George Lucas, you can type this, but you sure as shit can't say it. And it's one of those things where you think in your head it sounds amazing and declamatory and ah, oh, like this, amazing. And then some poor actor goes, what the hell? This just sounds, when, it, when you say it out loud, it sounds like pans being pushed off a shelf. So one of the, apart from the fact that I was basically like passionately in love with EastEnders and had been forever and absolutely adored every second that I was there, even when it was crazy, that... The, it, you learn very quickly about 
writing into the spoken word and what you can leave out, what you put in, how to come slant ways into a scene, how to get in, how to get out, get out. Because there is nothing like the experience of hearing your words said out loud because you really know it's a, when you're getting it right and when you're getting it wrong. Sorry. Louise, what's your origin story? Um, my origin story, I, uh, I started off uh, acting, so I, I was doing that in um, theatre and, and radio mainly, but with a, a wee bit of telly, and I sort of slid into writing sideways, kind of through devised theatre uh, from there. And then it never really occurred to me to write for telly, um, and then just after I'd had my daughter, it's my second child, I was at a bit of a loose end, and... Um, I got a rogue email inviting me to take part in a Scottish screen um, writing for TV thing. And I was a bit like, well, but I went along. And it was just like, man, duck to water. It was, it was, it was, it was great. I enjoyed it so much. And um, from that, part of that was, get, was, was writing spec scripts for River City. So um, got kind of drawn into the, the, sort of the, the River City process. And after about a year was taken on by River City because things happen slowly as well. Don't be discouraged. Things do happen slowly. Um, uh, and I, I, I was taken on and I got a, an episode of River City and that's kind of how that's, that's how it started. And at that point, River City was, was kind of much soapier, I think, than, than it, it was today. It was, it was a half-hour half hour drama. So um, I think what I learned about that, it was... In at the deep end uh, is that writing for those kinds of shows is is brilliant and it's it's a kind of it's a team sport really. In you know you're working you have to work closely with your your script editors, closely with the storyliners, and just learning the discipline of 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 working at that kind of um, velocity. You know you're not there to reinvent the wheel of the show. You're there to kind of keep the wheel. Turning. Do you think how important is it? Do you think to love the show that you're going to write on? I, I, it helps. It really helps. Doesn't a, it? There, there was a thing that when I, um, Tony Jordan, uh, who was Mystery Extenders for a very long time, and is a brilliant, and he's brilliant. He's brilliant. And when there, there's a huge room at Elstree filled with people who are either, you know, who were new to EastEnders or had written other TV things or had written all arts of things, and me, who'd never written TV before, and he stood up and said, if you think you can come on this show and not give a fuck about it and treat it as though it's your cash machine while you wait for Hollywood to discover your genius, piss off now because this show will find you out. And he's right. If you don't love, not just if you don't love it, but if you treat it with contempt, if you treat the characters and the stories, or it's not just soap, or continuing drama, as they're called now, although I love the word soap and will shout it from the rooftops, that if it's any show, if you treat it, or the audience, or the storylines, or any of it with contempt, or you don't really care, or you're not prepared to punch and fight until you find that part of the story that makes your heart race and your blood bang, then piss off. Because you shouldn't be doing it. You shouldn't be sucking up everybody's time and space when somebody else could be taking on that episode. You, it's not just about loving the show. It's about loving the entire thing, not just coasting. Sorry, I'm black. No, no. Sorry. <laughs> Paul, what about you? So how did you take the plunge into writing for the screen? Uh, I started, I went to art school, so I started off as in fine art. So um, graduated for 10 years, did various jobs from janitor to shop worker and started making small videos that ended up becoming like small narratives 
And then I got a job at BBC Scotland as a script editor. Uh, quite a lot of people f from write, uh, who are screenwriters tend to come through after being a, a script editor. Um, and so, yeah, I sort of took the plunge and um, started off in River City, a target. But my long-running soap, if you like, was Casualty. So I did Casualty. And it's kind of interesting when you, when you kind of approach it because... You know, people can get quite sniffy about the long runners. But one of the great things about Casualty and why I wrote it was it went out on a Saturday night. And Saturday night for me was still, that's still big telly. That was still family sitting down with pizza and Coke, you know, and Coca-Cola, obviously. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and there being a, a collective experience, and I really liked that. What, I mean, I would say, just to sort of repeat what, what everybody else is saying, where you learn is that you write something and within a couple of months it's on the, on the TV. If you're starting off and you write your scripts, it can take you ages before you actually see what it looks like. So you're actually just looking at a piece of paper. It's only when you see something on screen. And it's not the good parts, it's the, it's the one that doesn't work, the one you go, oh my God. You know, you thought, I thought that scene was going to be yeah. amazing. Yeah. And it, it yeah. fails. Yeah. The other thing I would say just about, you know, about loving it is that sometimes you're on shows that you might not be the audience for it, but there is an audience out there, and they love it, and you better take care of it, and you better deliver and to and their take, expectations. And take care of them. And take care of them, yeah. Take care of them, the audience and the characters. The other thing I wanted to say about the sheer, the, the graft of the work is that when you get onto the, you know, like long-running soaps, long-runners, uh, returners, soaps, oh, God, I'm losing myself, is how that you're going to... It's hard work. It's real graft. And if you, there might be something, there might be something amiss with a story document where the story isn't quite working. Something might happen in the news, which means there's absolutely no way you can play that abduction story, which is just about to film. Something, somebody might leave the cast, something might happen, whatever. Or it might, just might not work as a script. And you are going to have to sit there and hammer at it. And I think that being able to sort of like, learn and navigate those conversations that you have between editor, producer, between story departments, about how to fine hone story and how to kind of like really delve into character. That is also so important. And almost, you have to get used when, when you're new to it as to how, to how to respond when someone says, right, well, I've read your script and I've had some thoughts because <laughs> deep down your knee-jerk response is to pull out a crossbow and just let off a bolt into their forehead. <laughs> but you have to go, that's really interesting, please tell me more. And you have, but that's, that's part of the job and sometimes people have really good ideas and you'll be like, shit, what not I think of that? We go like, yeah, yeah, I was considering that on the train. Absolute lies, but just say it because it looks good. <laughs> so there's that part which is really important, but also just navigating those relationships that you're going to have later on in your career between your, with your editor, with your producer, with the other, other people involved in the business of making a script come to life and walk and talk. Because if you're the one going, I'm a genius, and then all of you can, you're just idiots and clods and you don't understand me you're never ever ever going to work you've so, got to be able to have conversations yeah I mean I think and hold true to you know have the ideas that solve the problems sorry so yeah no that's I'm just about to to ask you about that really because all of you will have worked with script editors throughout your career and how, how do you um how do you navigate that relationship and how do you um how do you collaborate with script editors and producers and how do you at the same time hold on to what it is you particularly want to say? Paul, do you? 
Um, I, I love script editors. I, think, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I really don't understand why you know, some writers have a bit of an issue with script editors. It, it's effectively like having someone on call to help you sort of you know, make, make, this, make this work. So I tend to... Uh, it, I mean, it depends. There's lots of different writers, lots of different script editors. It depends on the personality and that sort of thing. Most, most of the time, I would have to say most script editors I've had have been great. Um, so... Um, I try, if I can, to build as close a bond with the script editor as possible, because sometimes you can have conversations with the script editor that you maybe can't have with the producer, or, or, or that you need someone to moan at. You know, you need someone to moan. You need moan someone about who, the producer who, too. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, well, well, you can't go crazy at, at the producer or the executive, so you can you, you can use that. So I've always found it uh, fantastic. And maybe the other thing I was going to say, you know, you know, talking about ideas and stuff like that, is that. When you go through the, if you get into going through the wrong runners and you come out, you have no problem of taking ideas off other people if they're good. You know, I think that's the difference oh, yeah. about when you get better yeah. at it. You know, when someone says maybe that could happen in your script and you end up going, fine, I'll have it. Yeah. That's great. You know. um, Louise, you, yeah. you you work on um, <laughs> no. obviously you write your own original mm. uh, work and you work on uh, other people's shows. Mm. So how do you obviously you have to work on other people's shows you're working within certain parameters mm. um, uh, a bunch of characters the particular tone of the show mm. the way the stories work so so how does that how do you um, when you do that how do you sort of uh, make that episode your own um, in it, invariably it kind of it is going to have my voice in it because it's coming out my it's coming out my fingers and my brain but a lot I think a lot of this might be controversial, but a lot of a lot of the time, I think I'm trying to not make. It, I'm trying to make it the show. I'm trying to get the, the tone of the show as opposed to this. People are tuning in to watch the show, whether it's Call the Midwife or Shetland or you know any of these shows. Um, they're not tuning in to watch my episode of the show. They don't actually care whose episode of the show it, it is. They want to. They want to get into come back to those characters and that that world that that that, that they love. So I spend a lot of time. Trying, not trying to suppress. You can't suppress your voice, but you can. But trying to make sure that I'm in the world of that show. That's the work for me. Invariably, stuff leaks out just because you're an individual, and um, it, it plays to that. But um, I think does that kind of answer it? Mm. I, it's 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 a different it's a different process. I want to when I'm writing on somebody else's show. I'm trying to get I'm trying to get into that world. The, and the world of those those characters, and it's that's a kind of an alchemy. I love that. That is actually one of my my favourite parts of the job is trying to 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 get into that. Maybe it's maybe it's coming from an acting background or whatever. But I love I love that process of getting on a new show, not having written for it. Right, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna read the scripts uh, even more than I'm actually gonna watch it sometimes because I think sometimes the scripts reveal to you more about the show in a way from you know rhythms and. And, and, and things about it. And I, I just love that. It's good maths for me. And then getting into the, the world of the, the characters. But then again, even as you're working on other people's shows as well, they often give you opportunities to, to bring something of yourself to them. Things like Call the Midwife, for example. Those, those sort of guest characters that come up in, in, in Call the Midwife. That's, that's, that's why that's such a brilliant job. You're, you're working within those parameters, which are I love. But at the same time, you've got that... You've got that freedom mm. to 
to take something and, and, and run with it. Good. Well, we'll come, come on to talk about Colin mm. in a second. We're going to have a look at a clip of um, uh, one of Sarah's shows. Um, I mean, Sarah, you've become synonymous um, with Agatha Christie in recent years. I'm making sure everybody has a really shitty Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> and, then a having big, Christmas. and then having big rows on Twitter. That's, that's, that's um, basically my, my Christmas dream. And, and um, the, the, the clip we're going to look at, and then there were none, I believe was the first uh, yeah. of, the, of the four. Uh, why don't we watch the clip and then we can talk a bit about that. Sarah, t tell me about, I mean, obviously you've now done four, about to be five Agatha Christie adaptations. So how, how did the first one come about? Was that, was, did you know the book? Did you love the no, book? No, I've how never did it... read any Agatha Christie before I read this, and I've never watched any Agatha Christie, and I'm aware that there is Agatha Christie because I've step, had to step around queues outside the mousetrap, and I've seen clips of them on TV, like Peter Eustonoff playing Poirot and sort of... Maggie Smith and Glenda Jackson being waspish and brilliant, and, and I've never ever watched one. I haven't, you know, because it's everywhere, and I always thought, oh, God, it's it's safe and it's a bit tween, it's a bit cloying, and it's a bit parlour game. There's a body on the floor, and someone's outside, and it's ruined their tennis match, and then somebody comes along and sorts this out. <laughs> and I just don't care. It's just not what I'm interested in. But Damien Timmer from Mammoth harangued me and said, come and read this book, and I want to read this book, read this book. And in the end, I read, and then there were none. And it did blow me away, because it is brutal. It is brutal. It is like Aeschylus. It is remorseless. There's these ten people in there. One by one, they die. You know, and it felt to me like here they were on the edge of the world. They can't see the mainland, and the mainland can't see them, and there's no light, and all the, light, all the lights have gone out, and coming towards them across this salt-scoured rock is judgment, and it doesn't blink, and doesn't matter what you say or do, you're going to die, that's it. And it felt so Greek to me, and so wicked and subversive and horrible, and I thought, wow, this is right up my alley. So, <laughs> um, and I... I so I, I wrote the adaptation, and I don't think any. And I think it took it took everyone by surprise a little bit because I didn't know it was going to come out the way it came. For certain reasons, I was very late delivering scripts, and I delivered all, and I just had this sort of like mad three week lunacy where I sort of delivered all three episodes, and th there was a dance macabre and sex and drugs and not so much rock and roll, but a real shadow of the horror of the First World War hanging over it all and a sexy Irish mercenary and Charles Dance and my mum going, oh, Charles Dance, you are lucky. I said, yes, mum. <laughs> yes, mum. And he kissed me on the forehead. He goes, oh, good Lord. Um, and, but it was a chance for it to be really brutal and to take away that safety because it is horrible. It's really frightening and you can sort of look at it as a sort of like a locked room mystery in a game, a parlour game, or you can say it's a portrait of a psychopath. And it's also about this really forensic disquisition on the nature of guilt and of sin. And I enjoyed doing that a lot. And so everybody went, God, that went well. Quick, we better have another one. And then Witness for the Prosecution came up, so I did that. And um, because I hadn't been allowed to say a particular swear word in, at the end of, and then there were none, I sort of played a cruel joke on the producers, on the BBC, just, and nobody got it, and they let this scene go by, and it was... Unbelievable. I hadn't been allowed to say, can I swear? 
Don't ask me. Well, anyway, I don't know. If you're really offended by, you know, really strong Anglo-Saxon, look away now. But at the end, we were having the read-through of this, and I'd written this line for Philip Lombard, um, Aidan's character, that to say to Vera Claythorne, as she holds the shaking gun on him, saying, it's you, it's you, the murderer, she's got his, his... you know, his gun holding on him. And then she was, like, coming closer and closer to her, saying, it's not me. And she's about to shoot him. And as he reached round and grabbed the gun, he called her a cunt. And it was a great line, because you thought, fuck it, shoot him, or he's going to kill you. It, suddenly you understood who he was, that even though you'd had sex with him and you found him really... And, you know, you, he was going to kill you and he would show you no mercy. So, of course... And it, and it read great. And I was like, God, this is going to be brilliant. can't believe it. I've snuck that in. And we, we, we have the... After you've had the read-through, you know, we had the, uh, the, the, beat, the guy, um, Matthew Reed from the BBC, saying, just giving his notes and saying, and the final note is... You absolutely cannot have that. You cannot, Sarah. I'm like, why not? Why not? It's amazing. It's brilliant. It's completely character-driven. It's absolutely... I went on and on and on and on, like a steam hammer trying to sort of beat him into submission with this power of words. He went, Sarah, 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 stop. It's Christmas. You can't have cunt at Christmas. Like... Okay, fine. So anyway, when we got into when we when we when we got into it, so the prosecution, I put a scene of Cunnilingus in instead, just to see and got away with that. And then there was ordeal by innocence, and then there was the ABC murders, and now I'm doing pay horse, and I just literally feel like what the hell has happened? Because before all this, I'd honestly, I'd honestly never had anything to do with her at all, and now I, and now it's, um, it was completely accidental. And, but I, and would you happily go on and on and no, and, no. <laughs> okay no because it, other, I wanted to write a quintet I had this idea after and then there were none that actually what you could do because she because Christy herself I think there's a really interesting kind of academic work to be done in the tension in Agatha Christie between the book that she knows people want to read and the book that she wants to write. And so in all of these kind of... You're reading these and you go, and then somebody goes over here and here's a slightly useless policeman and somebody falls down a hole and there's a dog with ringworm. And then all of, underneath it, there's a tension, little kind of curveballs where you go, excuse me, what? And those are the things that I latch onto in the adaptations and kind of pull up and pull out and sort of make much more... And I think there is a tension in her between something which is... People buy it en masse, but there is a, she, she's quite, she's a, she's a dark, she's a dark mind. And I always think that you look for the little clues, you look for the clues to tell you about the book that she wants to write. And I adapt the book I think she wants to write, if that makes sense. Um, but I thought it, you could tell because she was writing from just after the First World War to into the 60s, that you could tell a story of 50 years of the 20th century via murder mystery. And I, so I thought I'd do a quintet. So that's what I'm doing. But I don't know if I've got much more, much more much in the tank. Definitely. And then after that, people start saying, "This is your shtick, isn't it? It's just a bit. It's a marple, but there's going to be crack cocaine." And it's just. <laughs> so I don't want to so, do that. I don't want to get into that what, sort what, of thing. I mean, what, obviously, there are particular challenges in taking a sort of much-loved author, whether that be Agatha Christie or or Dickens. Um, so. How, how do you kind of just shut the noise of what the purists might have to say about pure, your adaptation? Pure, I, I consider, I have a really hard and fast rule, which is that I never look at anybody else's adaptation. I only adapt the novel. I'm not in, you know, you, there's you no know, great expectations, all of a twist. And, and all of these Christians, they've been adapted multiple times. 
And I never watch them. I'm not interested. People say, oh, would you like to see this version of uh, Witness for the Prosecution? No, of course I don't. Why would I? I'm not adapting that, I'm not adapting that version. I'm adapting the book. And I, this was a thing that I, I kind of um, learned with Oliver Twist, which is it's a story that everybody feels that they know very well, but those are versions of the story. And it, the novel is less well known. And when you go back to the novel, which is infuriating, and you can, it, it's a very early work, obviously, and, the, and you know, every, some of it, I mean, I could have cheerfully flung the book across the room, and then you turn the page and he hits, you know, Dickens hits you with a little description, and you think, oh, you bastard, I'm just going to have to put up with you for a little while longer. But the, um, the, you know, there are details in the, in the book which give you a very, very different story, shall we say. And so it's always just the novel and what the novel says to me and, and nothing about any other adaptation or what any other writer or director or actor has ever done. That's not important. It's what the novel says because that's the writer talking to me and writers want to be read, writers want to be considered. So that's... Mm. And I think, pure, you know, the idea of purity... Is so dangerous, whether it's in reacting to um, a writer or in any part of society, in any part of civil, civic life. The whole notion of purity makes me feel nauseous and it is incredibly dangerous. And if it wasn't dangerous, we wouldn't be where we, where we are right now. So I would tend to think about a more... Uh, not a purity, but an attention to detail of what the writer is saying and the world and, and what they're saying about their world. Mm. That's, and, you know, if you, if you listen to lots of what other people are saying, well, it's going to be like this, you're never going to get anything done. And after Great Expectations, you won't remember, sorry, but I went and did a panel uh, in London and I was sitting on this panel with a, with a, with a Dickens expert and with De- and Deborah Mogok, who's another great writer, and... Um, just answering questions about adaptation and Dickens. And at the end of it, there's only questions. This woman stood up at the back and pointed at me and said, I got up at five in the morning to get a coach to come here to tell you that you've ruined this book. You've ruined it. <laughs> you've made it terrible. You've taken out all the humour. I hate you. And like, yeah, but there's tea and biscuits. And I, I couldn't actually think of anything to say, but, but people are, are, are very attached as when they call themselves purists, they're very attached, not so much to the book or to the writer, but to their experience of reading the book. That is what is enshrined in Amber. That is, you've, you've kind of dishonoured my memory of what I think this book is to me. And, you know, that might be hurtful or whatever, but you, you have to tell the truth and write the truth dramatically and morally as mm. you see it. Anyway, that's me done. <laughs> Thank you for that segue. Uh, Louise, so you have written on um, Call the Midwife, which is mm-hmm. probably the highest rating show on British mm. TV and has been for uh, eight seasons now. Mm-hmm. So let's have a look at a clip. What is brilliant about that clip is that um, people who haven't watched Call the Midwife or have never seen an episode think it's a particular kind of show, yeah. which is it's this kind of cosy Sunday night mm. show. What it does so brilliantly is, is tackle taboo mm-hmm. subjects, very dark subject matter, yeah. um, and put it right in the heart of, of mainstream, which is um, yeah. brilliant. 
So how, how involved are you in the selection of stories and the subjects that the show tackles? Well, Heidi Thomas is the, the showrunner on that show and it's very much her show and she's, it has been from the start and she's got a really clear kind of um, idea of the story that she wants to tell and the, the, the way that it's, it's told. So Heidi always comes up with the, the kind of the... I can't remember how many episodes is in a series eight. She comes she comes up with kind of like an idea of the eight the eight stories and how the, the sort of the serial strands going to run through that and the, and the stories of the week and then they kind of give us that that information and we we go off and do the research. We, there are people working on the research as well and uh, work out the best way that we how the way that we want to tell that story using within the parameters again of the show, which which I like. It's good maths. Um, structure, structure wise you've got a lot of freedom in terms of how, how, it, how it plays and also in terms of um, developing the, the sort of the guest characters uh, that's kind of um, up, to, up to the writers how, how they develop them so that's, that's good fun but it's a, the, the joy of working for that show is that there, there, is, there's, there's, there, there is freedom but there's also they really know what that show is and I think that's why it's it's so successful. And um, I think that the problems problems can occur when you're writing for a show that doesn't really know what it is. That's that's when that's when it gets a bit like oh, the producer thinks it's this, but the script editor thinks it's that, but then the execs think it's something else, and then the writers kind of in the middle going, uh, right, okay, yeah, yeah. and that's that's when you that's 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 where episode writing can 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 be a very special kind of hell. But when it's a show that actually knows what it is, it's great. And it's really kind of liberating in, in that way as well because you've got those conventions, but you've, the, the, the show has enough confidence to kind of give you, give you an inch as well. Mm. And that really, um, that's kind of... And what, what is your... I mean, whether, whether you're approaching an episode of Call the Midwife mm. or, or a thing that you've written yourself or any other show, um, what, what is the actual process for you? I mean, do you, are you one of those writers that... That plans everything out meticulously before you start writing the script, or how, how do well, you work? The, the system now is that you, you kind of, if you're, you're asked to plan everything out meticulously before you you write the script, you go through a, a process where you 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 produce sort of storyline document. So say you start off with two pages from the the showrunner or the lead writer, and then you expand that up into like a, a what we used to call a, a, a scene by scene on the. Uh, on, on the soaps, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Storyline it, absolutely. Storyline it, pretty much. Not as tight, not quite as tight as a you know scene. You know, when I used to be, when I first started on River City, you, 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 it was kind of like you, you know, Scarlet walks into the shop. Scarlet says this. Scarlet, walks, do you know scene two? Da, da, da. It, it's it's not like it's more like a, a story document, but it's definitely within that 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 sort of shape and then that's that's the that's the starting point for that and then that gets the the green goal and then you're off and you you write the you write and is the that script. the case on every show that's that you work on that's pretty much all of those Shetland yeah. we did storylines no, 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 yeah. for that and yeah pretty much the episode the episode jobs is that you would you would do that because you want they want to know what you're actually you know, that you're on the right beam, that they don't want to send you off for four weeks or whatever it is, uh, on, a, on a good job, four weeks, uh, to go off and, yeah, and write the, the script, and then you come back, you come yeah. back, and then it's like, oh, right, this is great, but it's not actually what we what we want. They're also wanting to know that you're picking up on the beats from, you know, the serial um, strands, that you're picking up on what's gone before and what's 
setting up, queuing up the stuff that's, that's mm. coming, coming up down the track. So that, you can love that process or you can hate it. I, I sometimes, those documents, and find, I, to be honest with you, I find any kind of text document that isn't a script ridiculously difficult to write. It takes me for bloody ever, and I could, I could go away and write easily the episode, if not another three on I, top, I in the time. I genuinely don't understand why you're asked to do that, though, because I don't see what it can give you, what it, what it can give the producers or the storyliners that a script wouldn't give them. I think they just don't want to... Um, it's sure. a time They want to make well, sure... I mean, what was your process then on, on, on that? that? After yeah, you had that, 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 you didn't do a statement in text, you just sat down and wrote it. I didn't do that. I People think, said to me, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm going to do this. Yeah. And then I went home and did it. Yeah. And so I, that's and I, you were sure as well, isn't it? Yeah, I think there is... But it's the same thing, which is like... You know, you're going to be in EastEnders and someone says, and then you're going to go, and then they go over here and somebody climbs up a ladder. Oh, no, look through the window. It's Peggy with her bra off. I mean, what the fuck? <laughs> and it's, and it's, to me, it slaughters. And when, well, on, on Dublin Murders, I've been doing when we um, had a guest, a guest writer on that, a new writer, and just making sure that I'd written a story document and that basically this is a story, is a story, right? I want to see how you respond to that mm -hmm. with a short story, with a short sort of page. I don't want you to do like a sort of scene-by-scene mm. -scene breakdown because I think it's going to kill you, but also because I want to see what happens when you get the oxygen blowing through it, that mm -hmm. is a script. Mm -hmm. And if we've Definitely. done that early enough and haven't wasted three weeks of your fucking time writing and then they go over here and somebody says this yet to be defined and it will probably mm -hmm. sound better when I've written it in dialogue. <laughs> I, I, I find them deadening to read. I find them, used to find them deadening to write. And mm. the idea is someone saying to me now, like, I mean, I, I just can't think like that. I just can't mm. make my brain yeah. do it. And I would find it almost impossible. If I was going to do a call to midwife and they said, right, you've got to do this, I, I, I would freeze and I'd go, can't I just write the script? Don't you ever feel that? Yeah, no, I feel all the time. I think that's a great position to be in, that you can tell them, no, I'm just going to go and write the script. No, I'd love I, mean, to do I wouldn't that. be able yeah. to do, do that, I mean? though, because well, I'm no, 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 be... that you can tell them, like, I'm just going to go write the script. I mean, I think that the, 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 the norm, if you're working on uh, series, other people's shows, is that the producer and script editor will want some kind of, of outline document, document text document. Oh, yeah, some kind of outline document text, but like really, really detailed to make sure that you've picked up and... No, no, I mean, it's, it's, I mean I've got the one I'm... The show I'm on just now, this is about 16-page text doc. What, for per episode? For the episode, yeah. Lord above, I mean, are you I, serious? I, My yeah. God! I think I'm it does so depend on the genre too, because I think you yeah, know, a court shows you you, you, you tend to need to work um, it out. I'm so impressed with your. Yeah. Well, I, I, you, it's, you, it's, you it's have hard. got <laughs> you have got chops that I just don't got. <laughs> I would, I, I and would, then, and then I would be it. the cop show. <laughs> I, I, wonder, I, wonder the cop I wonder if it is, if it is more for crime that they do that because you have to work out. I mean, I well, think we well, done. I, I, yeah. I, I, I just done in this eight episode show about which is about crime, which is about it's a crime story mm -hmm. and all the rest of it. And what I tried to do, I had this rule of thumb at 
Enders, which is, you know, that sometimes you can get story documents that, you know, that your one episode is about sort of 12 pages long. And you're like, here is your A story, here's your B story, here's your C story, here's your other beats. But they're so prescriptive and, like, Sharon goes round to his and they reminisce about Lou while they make an apple pie. Who gives a shit? And it was almost (laughs) like, my feeling is, is that if you can't tell me what a story is in a sentence, well, then yeah. if I, I, I haven't got a story. Mm-hmm. It's all, then, if you, then, you can, then I can expand it out, but a huge 16 page, that would kill me. I yeah. have no idea me how week. you do yeah. it. Yeah. I was going to say, so do you do, um, how do you write? Do you write chronologically? Do you start scene one and move through? I sit down and go, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about the, the, the kick inside, like what, yeah, like yeah. with, and then there were none. What was the what was the image? The image of this mm. woman, Vera Claythorne, in this white house like folding geometry, wearing a red swimsuit. Don't well, ask me why. That's what it was. Yeah. And then I unpacked it from there. So I'll sort of walk around and I'll absorb it and wait for it to start talking to me. And then I will sit at my desk. And once upon a time, I would have bought like sixty fags or something, but yeah. I don't do that anymore because I'm a non-smoker. <laughs> <laughs> Only just. But then I'll sit there and I will hammer it and hammer it and hammer it because but I, the idea of having to go we start here we start there no, no, I, no. I just wouldn't be able, I just can't make myself do that do you do chronologically do you go one yeah episode yeah. Uh, scene one scene, one, scene, scene two. two see I see, I, see the, one of the reasons why I quite like the text document is I would get to a stage where I would go right scene one scene two and then you get scene 16 and I'd get stuck or I'd hate it and I, and I could just lose three days on scene yeah. 16 just hate it and then I read um, someone who would say, I think it was, uh, it was Abrahams or whatever, and said, eat dessert first, right? See that scene that you love that's scene 36 or scene 60. If that's the scene you want to write, write that scene. Mm-hmm. Just because at, at that time, you know, once they say script to go, you've yeah. got three weeks, whatever, yeah. to get the first draft in. So time's a problem. And really what you want to do is, is you need to kind of get pages under the belt. Do you know what I mean? There's mm-hmm. nothing worse than that having that week when you're on page 25 and you've got, <laughs> you've got another, you know, it's a two hour as well, you know, where you just like, just, you just end up just typing. Um, so I ended up quite liking these documents so that meant I could sort of move around and pick yeah. things up so rather than got get stuck. I've got like a friend who basically does post-it notes, colour-coded mm. post-it notes. And I, I, look at, I look at her board and, she's, and, and, it's, and it's so precise. And I look at hers and I can just feel like, Parts of my brain withering and dying because I just can't. I, in a way, I would love to be able to be do do that yeah. to be that organised. But I think, in general, my brain is chaos and my working my working process is pretty chaotic. And yeah. I start at the beginning, and then sometimes I get on. Oh, I've got no idea what I'm going to do. So I think I know I'm going to blow all the lights, and they're going to go crazy for a couple of hours which is almost like that rule of if you want people to behave in a bad way don't let them go to sleep no one's going to go to sleep right so it's it's you you know and you run up against a brick in the script or in your house in well no in (laughs) the script in the script but it's it i would love to be as ordered as that it would make life so much easier i'm I'm not i'm I'm sorry i'm I'm not like this precision i'm not i'm as chaotic and as late as everyone else but because this this um uh the system has been imposed by quite a lot of, of, yeah. of crime writing, you end up thinking, well, I've got to do this. And then actually, you end up getting into a way of thinking, actually, it's not a bad way of working things out. Do you know what I mean? It's a good way of working things out. Because I get lost in the seat of the script. Yeah. 
yeah. some people can just write and love that, but I can get lost in, in the actual yeah. screenplay. I just want to say something before you jump in, which it makes me think of um, uh, Vincent, whatchamacallit, who wrote Breaking Bad. What's his name? What's his name? Gillen. Yeah, and it was about, I was reading a description of their writer's room, which is like every single beat is so discussed and marked out on a board. But then I end up thinking, where does the writer go? That's, I, know, I know that is hard to answer the demands yeah, yeah. of the schedule. And, and especially like show the minute, like you say, the production like rides you like, a, like the, the hag at midnight. And you, are you just, yeah, I don't know. I, I really admire you for being able to do that because it makes my brain go atrophied. So let's, let's just um, talk about Shetland for a minute. Can we have a look at the Shetland? Paul, that's, um, that show has been running now for five, five series and still doing as well as ever. So yeah. how, how, do you, um, how do you and Davey, who, who writes it, um, how do you kind of keep, keep it fresh, keep the characters fresh? How do you reinvigorate it every series, do you think? Um, well, I should say that it's David Kane's show. David Kane's the, the sort of lead writer on it, and um, I've done two episodes, but he's done four of the current series. And... and, and you, you were on it too. Louise was on it too. Uh, on the series. Um, the reason I did it, um, one, because I love the show, but also because um, Shetland moved from an episodic series to serial. So up to about uh, series two, they did like a story of the week, and then they did a six-part serial. And I really wanted to be a part of that serial writing because it's, I mean, it's just such a bigger canvas. You can do so much more things. You're not so sort of homed in. And Dave is really a very generous writer. So he basically would come up with, with an idea of, of, of what he kind of wants, wants to do, what kind of area. So uh, in series four, it was the kind of broken justice system. And then we had the Thomas Malone character. This series was about human trafficking. And David does quite a lot of work. And then he'll sort of give us a document of all the things that he's thinking about. And he, and he gives a fairly detailed kind of idea of, of how the, the episodes are going to go. And then we would come together and read and talk, I mean, and you were part of those meetings as well. And it was great, and it was, and, you know, it, it just didn't feel rushed. We had loads of time, so then he would go away and we'd write, and then we'd, we'd just keep coming back, keep coming back. And it was such a lovely, proper experience. I mean, you just kind of felt that, that we ended up getting to the stage where everybody knew the story, everybody knew what we were trying to do, everybody was on, on, online, and um, so that actually writing those episodes was so easy, you know, because you just spent about four, five, six months really, just continually coming back to it and continually coming back to it. So that's why I like to do it. In terms of keeping it fresh, it is a difficult one because uh, Shetland, it's the Shetland Isles, you know, there's only so much can happen on the Shetland Isles, you know. <laughs> there, is, there is only so much crime that can, that, that can happen. And what happens, in, uh, what's the good thing about Shetland is they always try to show the impact of the crime and that tends to be on, you know, the characters who are on, who are on the island, you know, the idea of how does it affect the community. But again, you know, the, there's only so many people in the community. Do you know what I mean? There's only so many people it can affect. So we're looking at, although they haven't greenlit a new series, um, uh, we're sitting down and um, thinking about the new series, or Davey's certainly thinking about the new series, and, 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 and we're all sort of meeting, but it's quite difficult to find another thing. And also, those characters as well, which, which, which people love, and people really love Jimmy, and they really love um, uh, Tosh, Finding journeys for them, finding stories for them, you know, continues to be quite hard. But um, that's the, that, that's the job. That's what you do, isn't it? It's like you know, you sort of sit down and try and find another story that's just as engaging as the last mm -hmm. as the last three. And and why do you think it has been such a successful show? I mean, what, what is the what is in its uh, what is it about the show that 
keep people coming back, do you think? I think it's a, a you know, a, a, it's a mixture of things. I think people love those characters. They, you know, they, they love Jimmy and, and Tosh together. Um, it's Shetland, it's a different place. It's, it, it's got an atmosphere that I think people like. It's kind of, you know, the BBC, as I've said before, they, they kind of they, they kind of know it's there, but the, you know, they don't push it. It's not like Line of Duty, where they're all like, look what we've got. It just comes out Shetland, and it hits an audience, and it hits a really um, a consistent audience, and, and, and then they really love it. So they almost kind of let us go on with it. And I think that, you know, in a world of Line of Duty, we're saying this out there, in a world of Line of Duties and Luthers, where all the cops are kind of ramped up, actually Shetland goes back to a more kind of classic sleuth with a, a really strong moral compass is someone who actually wants to do the right thing. And that does seem to resonate. People just seem to, just to keep coming back to that. Mm. So I think that, that's it. Yeah. I think it's one of the pleasure of watching people who are really good at their jobs do their jobs really, really well and not, and, and be intent. I think it's one of the things I really love about Unforgotten, that, it was, mm. that it's watching people really work hard to get the right result, to do the right thing. And, and that feels like a a long drink of water in a, in a desert at yeah. the moment, that seeing people with integrity behave honourably and with intent to deliver the right thing to, and to deliver justice. And you just, uh, and that does sound, it sounds like a like superhero or something when it's, no, when, I think you, it's when you, you know, it, and I think that just really chimes with something, a, dis, a slight despair of wanting to see people who are, Decent and good and true. Mm. I think that, and I think, yeah, I think that that, that always does. And, and, and Shetland, it's funny because Shetland, and like that, that's another show that knows what it is, you know. Yeah. And I think that, that's, that's you know, just when you touched on that there, you know, you, you can go into situations where someone says, you know, so we see ourselves as the British, British Breaking Bad. And you go, oh. what? <laughs> no, you're not. What does that mean? You're not the British Breaking Bad. You know, and so they have a view of what the show is that's not what's out there, and it's quite hard to bring that together. Other show that knows what it is, we were just talking about, was Midsummer. Midsummer's got the best Bible ever. The first line in Midsummer says, no more than four murders per episode. <laughs> because five's excessive. You know? <laughs> a, friend, a friend of mine wrote the absolutely classic Midsummer where Martin McCutcheon got killed by uh, a wheel of cheese. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, that's on. That's every, every now and yeah. again, I have to go and just watch that clip on YouTube just to sort of nourish my soul. Yeah. I mean, how much, I think you've all touched on the fact that, you know, that, that really brilliant and successful shows, they know what they are. Um, where do you think that comes from? Is that solely the job of a writer to define that show? Or is that part of the collaboration, do you think, Paul? Uh, that's a hard one, isn't it? Probably Anyone? right. No, I, 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 I think it's... I think that it should be... If the writer doesn't know what they're doing, then it's going to be... You're going to be lost in that horrible situation yeah. that Louise was describing, which is... The script editor thinks it's this, the producer thinks it's this, the director thinks it's that, the execs think that that, it's the co-producers in Los Angeles think it could be that. You've got to have somebody saying, and saying from the audience, even though I gave this whole big spiel about, you know, episode treatments, I do a huge story document and I do a, you know, a big thing like, you know, this is the world, this is what we're talking about, here's this, look at this kind of element of it, here's... That you've got to say this is the vision. The vision is alive from the minute you, from the from the opening 
from the opening scene, this is the vision. And if that doesn't come from the writer, it can't. The, the people around it can support and can, can contribute to that. But if you haven't got the person in the middle who's going to be spending the next six months tied to their desk, screaming into the void and sort of eating custard creams, then you haven't. You, then that can't come from anywhere else. You can't have the exec producer saying, I'm going to put this helicopter gloss on it, which is going to make it look like it's got a heart and soul. That's a carapace. It's got to have the heart and soul, mm. and that's got to come from maniacs like us. And where does the, where does the director come in, in terms of... Late. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Too late. Like, Too late. No. The, director, the director is... We was, this was another conversation we were having when we were having a cup of tea, just basically saying, would you ever want to direct your own work? Like, Jed directs his own work, Sally directs her own work. I can't think of anything no. that I would be worse at than directing my own work. What about um, the other one that all the writers say is, oh, I wish we had the writers' room like they do have in America? <laughs> Why would you want to do that? I mean, it's nine Some to people that's really hard. like it. They really Some like it. It's really hard work. It's like nine to nine. You know, and it's like you're in there every day, and you, it's like the whole reason why I became a writer was because I like being on my own. Exactly. It's, I just I don't, don't, I, I don't like people. You know, I don't I actually. Don't, like I don't want to leave the house. Know? I so, want to sit so, in my so this whole idea that you would go and everybody would just sit and do it is is is. Yeah, a it's happening more and more here now, isn't it? It's. That's because you have to have the thing which is delivering the mm. sheer amount of content. It's volume. It's volume. Yeah, you yeah, know, volume. Yeah. Yeah. I used to love what the the sort of when we went like story conference for EastEnders, which you know. It was like the fall of Rome. It was disgusting, and it was. I used to really enjoy that. But the idea of going to a writers' room nine in the morning until nine at night. No, man, I'm, I don't get out of my pajamas no. till four in the afternoon. No, I mean I remember. The other I've thing. been to Sainsbury's in my pajamas. Beat down. That's all right. Yeah. Nobody seemed. To, nobody turned a hair. That's what's worrying. Well, Louise, you, you've worked on lots of different types of drama in terms yeah. of genre you've done relationship drama you've done crime drama is is your approach exactly the same yeah i've done something to my microphone i don't know can you hear me okay i think i might have yeah yeah okay um yeah no it is i'm i'm um uh, i love character that's how i that's that's why i got into writing so i'm always about like i just taking those characters and looking at that journey and where are they going to go and what that's that's what i love and i don't care whether that's in you know I've forgotten we call the midwife set now. Where is it? Oh, Poplar. Poplar, thank you. Poplar or Shetland or, you know, wherever. It's, it's, it's just getting into... I just like to get into that world. I love... I, I get myself up on Google. This is procrastination. I get myself up on Google Maps or whatever. Because we were promised at one point, I remember the last series, a trip to Shetland. I don't know if you got one this no. year. No. Do you know? No. <laughs> no. Never not, been. That it, not that it still rankles or anything. Have yeah. neither of you actually been to Shetland no. then? Have you been to Shetland? No. <laughs> no. On George Lucas going space. No. <laughs> On Google Maps, I have a little. I'm doing something that's set in Hong Kong at the moment. I'm spending quite a lot of procrastination time fanning about in Hong Kong, you know. And on Google Maps, get myself in the world. Get I get the get into the. I'm a great believer in uh, the research. Again, that's just the procrastination. I just like love reading all around what's going on and finding, you know, because that's. I think if you're ever stuck, it's just that you, you just need to go and get more in your head. 
the, the reality like of whatever that situation is. I like is. to know what the, what the air would have smelled yeah, like. I yes. like to know how low the ceiling is yeah, and how bright yeah, the light bulb is. Yeah, and that's that. what I want. That's what I like now. Love all that. And then get get those characters and just go. And I think it doesn't matter what the what the show is, actually, for that. That, I, that approach works for I, me. I agree with you. I always think that there's a best, basically a rule of thumb. It doesn't matter whether it's EastEnders. It doesn't matter whether it's Agatha Christie or mm. doesn't matter whether it's Dublin murders, it doesn't matter whether you're doing a kind of modernising Euripides or something mm -hmm. like that. Basically, it's character, character and story. Mm -hmm. And that's all that, that's, that's all. all. That's all. If you haven't got that, and you if haven't got and, anything. And, have you? and also, if you don't, you're telling things specifically to those characters, and if you're that specific, you'll get that universal mm -hmm. feeling. You'll get that exactly. universal feeling. How, how important is it, do you think, and do any of you start by figuring out what it is you actually want to say? I mean, how much of you, how many of you are kind of start with, with theme and the thing you want to say and then find a story to wrap around that? Or, you know, how, 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 does, it, how does it start? I, I, I used to get really, when you used to sit in casually, there would be people who would say, so what's your theme, you know, before you start? And, and I would go, I don't know, I'll tell you, I'll tell you at the end. I think sometimes you have an idea of what you want to do. Yeah. Or you start with character again, you know, you, you pick a particular character because maybe you want to say that. And then as, as you go through the process, when you get to the end, you suddenly, it starts to come mm -hmm. crystallised. I, I don't think you ever sit down. I remember someone, someone was saying that um, about some show and they said that I, I wanted to write a show that... Um, it was actually the criminal justice system as well, but I wanted to show that showed how bad the criminal justice system was. Or, and I kind of thought, I've never actually sat down and thought, I'm going to say something here. I just thought, I just hope people are entertained and keep watching. No. Sad story. You guys. Are I kind of, I kind of, I'm going to write something which tells you how bad this is. And it's like, yeah. right? Are you? Mm. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You end up. I don't yeah. know. Okay. I, I sometimes use theme if I'm kind of stuck in something, but this is more in, well, in, in terms of other people's shows, sometimes if I get like a story document and it seems like it's, it's kind of different strands that aren't kind of coming together, I sometimes will just look for something to kind of, to, to get together. me started mm. as a starting point to, to, kind of, to kind of bind it. And I sometimes use theme as well if I'm trying to do something myself and I'm, uh, again, it's just procrastination exercise, though, isn't it? I'll, I'll kind of think to, to if I'm kind of running short on story or plot or something like that. I'll, I'll sometimes go back and take an idea, a theme, a, a you know, loss or you know, but not a kind of a um, you know, a, a statementy sort of mm. theme, but kind of a, a, an emotional theme, if yeah. you like, and just to kind of get get the motor running again but equally I might just put on like a song that might get me going or you know there's just all your your tricks aren't there to, mm -hmm. to try and get you out of a yeah. out of a puddle what's your what's your song you put on oh, to get you I've got I've got oh, I've got my phone notes out there but I've got I've got a thing I can't I can, if I'm actually writing I can't listen to words I can't listen to words so I've got a Spotify kind of playlist of no words once and as soon as and now I'm, it's like Pavlov's dog if I'm stuck I've just put this on and I just suddenly go, <laughs> <laughs> and like that. it's bizarre. What is it? It's, it's kind of, it's all, I'd, I'd have to go and get my, I'd have to go and get I my don't, phone. I can't listen to music at all, never mind, even though, even You might though, be able to listen to this stuff. Uh, I, I, but I've always, have, I've always put something on to sort of like get the, get the blood racing. Yeah. And it'll either be kind of a bit of Another Star by Stevie Wonder, if yeah. I'm, or, or Gimme Shelter. And a yeah. bit of a turn whacked up loud, and it's loud, nice, and a, that nice and apocalyptic to put me in a good yeah. mood to kill some yeah. people. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I'm going to throw this open to the floor now, because I'm sure you've all got lots and lots of questions for our, our panel. 
somebody at the back there. Just, yeah, just wait for the microphone before you ask your questions, by the way. I need the microphone. Um, you've mentioned exec producers and producers um, throughout this, this talk today. I'm a producer in high-end television, and I know that there's often quite a lot of creative conflict. Normally, it's because I'm trying to get your story on screen, but I also have to have an eye on the budget and the schedule. With more and more writers getting exec credits, how much is that affecting, or is it affecting how you think about the budget and the schedule, and is it affecting your role as writers, if you're also an exec? Well, well, I'm an exec, and I think that one of the things that you always have to take on board is that when you're writing, you, you know, just say, and then an ex this thing, and it, uh, uh, something explodes over here, and someone says, we can't have an explosion. You say, all right, well, how about they have a glass of squash in a cupboard under the stairs? That will still be fine. And you, you take on board that because that's part of your job, and that if you need to have lots of explosions and things you can't afford, it's never going to be on screen. You've got to work with the budget and you've got to work with the schedule and you've got to work with the producer and you've got to come up with answers. The first, when, we, when I was doing Oliver Twist and, and Sarah was the producer on that and the first meeting we had on that was, you know, in the, you know, in all the famous Oliver Twist, like, there's a rooftop chase which is when Sykes, <laughs> Bill Sykes gets, you know, ends up being accidentally hanged. It's a really horrible scene with Browner going, money for whoever catches that man and then Sykes sort of hangs himself and everybody cheers and it's really, really disgusting. And the first thing Sarah Brown said to me was, we can't afford a rooftop chase. <laughs> I was like, that's really fine. I, don't, I hate it anyway. Let's put him in the sewers. It's private. It's much more emotional. Mm. And you always... So part of your life as a writer and an exec, when you've got an overview of your budget and your schedule and you're working with every single... You're producing all of your HODs to put something on screen that's affordable and not mental and that you're all working together in a really good way is to find answers to those questions. That's, that's mm. our job. That's our job. Find it's, answers. Yeah. Find creative answers to the questions that are here on the table as part of your production process. I quite enjoy them. We can't have this. Good, we'll have something else. Mm -hmm. That's a fun bit. Yeah. Just wait for the mic. Uh, hi. Uh, so um, I just uh, want to expand on something Sarah was talking about in terms of um, doing Agatha Christie. And Could you talk... Can I see you? Hi. Oh, hi, there hi. we are. Sorry. Um, so you talked about how... Um, you know, when it came to adapting those as with everything, it's always about the story um, you, you feel the writer is telling you. Um, when it came to be doing the ABC murders, did you, um, was there, did you have to have a slightly different approach because you were kind of, in terms of going, in terms of adapting something that was very much a Hercule Poirot story and turning it into sort of the Hercule Poirot stories and this is your kind of, did you feel under pressure in the sense of um, not just delivering your version of the story, but delivering your version of the character and sort of? You no, know? I, I, I was, I felt that. Oh, I felt that if I was going to do, because I never really wanted to do a sleuth when I was doing this, because I, I wanted to do the stories where there was nobody who was going to come along and save the day. Nobody's going to have any answers. You're just going to be left with uncertainty and fear, because that's the truth about life. God almighty. <laughs> uh, I, I, but I, I didn't want... if I, Because, the, the, I mean, it's interesting that Christy's slews are outsiders anyway. One is a Belgian refugee and the other one is an unmarried woman. And they're the ones that come in and actually explain Englishness or the English way of murder to you. But I thought, if I am going to do this, which I wasn't... Then, then he has to be this, uh, such, this, this hugely familiar, over-familiar character 
in the British landscape, in British literature, or British whatever, in films, in uni globally, that silhouette is so famous, then he has to be the mystery. I want him to be the mystery as much as anything else because it's him that the murderer is writing to. Mm -hmm. Who are you? What have you been up to, foreigner? In that case, if they're doing that to him, then who is he? And I kept just sort of pulling away at the notion of Poirot and just thinking, right, what, what do we know about him that's canonical? And if that's canonical, how can that be? Because that wouldn't have happened, so what if he's lying? It's just all those questions of what if, what if, what if, what if. But I don't think that... I, I mean, I think that there was a certain kind of clash um, because, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a pretty... Um, you know, it's not the not going to be welcomed by everybody to decide, you know, saying about Hercule Poirot that your daddy ain't your daddy. It's, uh, you know, that you're, change, you're not changing the character, you're just taking a different look at him. Because I didn't know him, so I came from the position of not knowing him. And even throughout the script, when it was character headings, I never called him Poirot once. He was always Hercule. Who is Hercule? We think we know Poirot. Who is Hercule? So I, that's what I wanted to do. He had to be the mystery, because he was the driving force. Otherwise, he just reacts. He just reacts to events. And if his is a mystery, and he, this, this murderer writing to him has got a little thing that just scratches at his soul, the way he writes those letters, who are you, who are you, who are you, then that makes an exciting story because it also shows you something different about somebody who we think we've known and all the time they were just showing you a performance. If that makes sense. Lydia? Um, I was interested to hear about adaptations and the fact that you didn't look at other things that had been, been done before, other adaptations. Um, how do you approach sifting dialogue that obviously exists already in the book? I don't write it. I don't do that. I think the thing is, is that if you can kind of change context and you've sort of decided to tell the story in a particular way, you can't suddenly plunge a lump of... Uh, unreconstituted dialogue from the book into it just it just feels awful, and I think it stands out a lot where you've got your particular style of dialogue, and then suddenly somebody says something from the book which you just lifted out, and it's just like Ugh, what the hell is that? Because it belongs to a different style, and there is absolutely not one word of dialogue that is from. Um, in the in the in the books that goes into the adaptation. But what happens is that you get a flavour of repeated phrases. So say, for example, there was a thing in, um, uh, in Oliver Twist, um, in the book, they, the, they give him the nickname Nolly. So I put that in it, didn't I? Mm. In the, you know, there's really famous phrases from Great Expectations, which is, you know, oh, what larks pip. I'm not putting what larks pip from Joe Gardner. It makes him sound simple fucking minded. And he's not. <laughs> so I put in something else like... I would kind of like give it a kind of a little edge to suggest that there was a that even though this dialogue wasn't in the book, there was something about it which gave it a familiarity, such as Mrs. Joe's raising a boy by hand in this, you know, and just little things that made you think, oh no, if I went and looked at the book, I'd be surprised to find that dialogue wasn't there. And it's the same with the. Um, it's the same with the Christies. You can't, you don't use that dialogue, but you, but there's a a flavour of the world in which they're written, which makes you think that it's familiar, but I, I don't ever. And people go, oh, you could put that line of dialogue in. Why would I do that? It sounds shit. No, so I don't. I do something else. Thank you. Sorry. Maybe here has a question, just at the front. 
for all three of you. I just wondered, is there any, in your career, any one line of dialogue you've written that an actor has performed in a way that's just given you chills in some way, whether it was more than you meant or different to what you meant, but you just went, ooh, that was, that was good. <laughs> You're on the spot now. <laughs> I, I can't think. I can't think of anything. I, I, that doesn't mean that, that, that uh, actors haven't performed. My uh, what you tend to remember is when was when someone has got the character bang on. That's that's mm -hmm. when you go, oh my god, that's a, that what a performance. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes, I when I started my career, you know, you would get notes back that would say, you know, the actor says, can you change that and all that. And you would go, no, I'm not changing anything, you know. Mm -hmm. But actually. It's, it's a bit like that, you, that, what you were saying about how things sound terrible just because they're okay on the page, they don't happen on screen. Mm -hmm. So you realise that actually that line that you had in your head that you thought, oh, that's so clever, I'm really clever, actually just doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And the thing about it is, is that if, as long as I'm not changing the meaning of the story or, or, or the scene and all that, I would say give actors whatever it is to do that line because they've got to sell it to mm -hmm. how many million people are on the screen yeah. and whatever makes them comfortable. Sorry, just to keep going, there is a story which I think is hypo hypo um, apocryphal, which uh, I can't remember what it was on CSI or something like that, where uh, the, the director calls the exec producer down, who's the writer, and uh, says this... Um, actor has a problem with the line. You know, that's quite a big thing because they, they really race through you know, production. So the exec producer goes up and goes, what's the problem? And the actor turns around and says, I don't think my character would say that, 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 that line. And the exec producer goes, no, he does. Look, right there. <laughs> Writers love that story because it's like, yes, yes, yes. But here's the thing that I think about it. That actor's now gone away being told, your thoughts on this, your yeah. feelings on this don't matter. So whatever he's going to deliver now, he's not feeling... No. He's in the moment. He's not going to give you that performance. So I think you have to, you just have to, you have yeah. to be, just compromise, be flexible, and just make sure that it's, it's, it kind of works for for, for everyone. Yeah. But as for an actual yeah. line, I don't, I don't know. know. I've got it's, it's only lines that I wish I hadn't written that are paired oh. on the screen. <laughs> they're the ones that are like stacked up in my memory banks, and they're always when I've just been trying to be a smart arse, and it just comes off and you're like that oh no that's horrible why did nobody stop that i wrote a line i wrote a line for janine after she killed barry evans on the mountaintop in scotland and she comes back to albert square to grieving natalie and, and pat carrying barry's ashes in a bag labeled genuine Scottish shortbread <laughs> and I'd written this line to her where they come round weeping and say to her like well, well god might I tell us tell us tell us how does it happen like this and so Janine is sort of sitting there tears running down her eyes a sort of grieving widow and she'd she sort of said oh, I, he told me he's going to pick a flower for every every day of our married life and Natalie in absolute tears. He went up the mountain and his shoelace was underneath. Like this on and on, like really laying it on with a trowel. Pat and Natalie beside themselves. I cannot believe I got away with this line. But anyway, and, um, and she's up there and, 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 and Janine was like watching, watching them sideways from under her eyelashes and things like that. And she said, oh God, if only, if only he hadn't loved me so much. If only he hadn't had so much romance in him. If only he'd worn slip-on shoes. <laughs> and Pat, like, oh, it's like, Janine just like, getting on with it. So I write this line, I'm just like, this is so much fun. And I know that that actress is just going to knock it out of the park. And all three actresses, in fact, 
and just working together. Honestly, a really, really quality soap. You know, like um, Charlie and Lucy and beautiful, beautiful um, Pam St. Clement. When you get those girls in the room, you can just give them anything. You really can. And they have had so much fun with this. But the day after this went out, this is when Chris Moles was on Radio 1, he just kept playing this line over and over again. If only he'd worn slip-on shoes. Say, what the bloody hell is this? Was the right a pistol or something? And I nearly, <laughs> nearly texted in to go, yeah, you're right, I was. But and it, in, in, terms, in, in terms of that, yeah, I, I, I was... And also... Um, Tracy Ann Oberman screaming at uh, Leslie Grantham before she killed him. Like, now you know what it's like to have nothing. Now you know what it's like to be me. <laughs> she absolutely... Bef- and, God, yeah. Brought him back from the dead, killed him again, dug him up. What a great career I've had in soap. <laughs> so, so we have one time for one last question, Slavia. Yeah, I just wondered, um, as you often write about uh, social and political issues such as casualty with the NHS cuts and how it affects staff, and you address a lot of issues that affect working class people um, particularly, which is fantastic. Do you ever get told it's a little bit too close to the bone and you may be too critical of the way things are, or do you just kind of recognise that you have to write in a certain way? In terms of being censored, uh, censored. By, by, the, by, the, by the producers or by the broadcaster? Either. Usually Ed Paul, or, or Ed, it had been in my life. Ed Paul, Ed Paul is basically about what you can show in terms of uh, taste, lang- and taste and decency in language. We've got an Ed Paul situation at the moment about children, about children witnessing um, a particular crime and even though we film the children and the crime separately, it looks as though the children are present at the crime. We've got to be very careful about how we show that, even though it's a post-watershed, blah, blah, blah. That's not what you're asking. I know you're asking about whether or not you can be critical of the power structures. That really depends... I think casualty at, it, uh, casualty at its finest is hyper... It tells a really good emotional story, which is not just saying this thing is fucked, but also look what it does to people. Yeah. I think that when, it's yeah. at, when casualty is at its finest, it really tells that story with great power. To, yeah. um, you just have to be smart about the way you do it, don't you? You have to kind of bring it in and yeah. make it no, as part I of mean, the... So just as a yeah. producer, I've never, ever, ever been told by a no. broadcaster you can't be critical of the government or the NHS. Literally never in my mm. career. You never get that kind of... I mean, maybe I've been lucky, but... No, no, I think also, I mean, this maybe goes up to the, the, the question that, that started as well, is like, you know, producers are, are, are really creative people, actually. You know, yeah. I mean, I know w- w- writers are always kind of... Mm. But writers, they're really creative, and they actually love drama. You know, they want to actually put... No, they do. They would do it because it's a terrible, it's a horrible job. You know, you've got actors in the front, and you've got a writer who's, you know... So they tend and to be... Raining. Yeah, so they, they, they tend to want to do it. And if you've got something to say, that's what they want. If you've got... You know, um, the only time I would say they would turn around and say, well, it, it just doesn't fit the show, or, or yeah. maybe you're, you're just preaching, yeah. or it just doesn't, you know, it's it would be a dramatic, it would be a dramatic yeah. thing. But this idea that there's people going, oh, no, you can't do that, it's not. That's no. OK, sorry, I'm gonna, we are absolutely out of time, but just before we finish, do you have each of you one bit of advice for um, screenwriters starting out? Paul? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, keep writing, don't give up. 
Yeah. That's, that's all I can say, and everybody says that, but that's what yeah. I would say. Keep yeah. writing, get some good spec scripts that you, that you, that you love and are populated with characters and stories that, that you love. And uh, don't take it personally, rejection. <laughs> Life's too short. Whatever it is you're writing, it has to make your heart absolutely race and your blood bang. You are going to be sitting there a long time. Don't write if you're bored. If you're bored, change it up. Don't sit there thinking, oh, I'm just going through the motions, this transition to this transition. Find the taproot that makes your heart explode, that makes you go, <gasps> because what you're going to be needing to do as a screenwriter, there is a magic box in the corner of the room. Most of the time, people have seen these stories. What you've got to do, your challenge, is to see. So the audience sat there eating crisp, whatever, thinking about a thousand things, whatever, the TV's on is there, and they go like, whoa, 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 hang on a minute, what the fuck did they just say? That is your challenge. Keeping it fresh, keeping it up, and speaking to the heart. Speaking to the heart of the show, of the characters, and telling stories that matter. Blood and guts and spine and heart. Do it. Look <laughs> into thy heart and write. And that advice, that advice is from a Renaissance man, so take it from him, because he's brilliant. Right, for Philip Sidney, that's enough. Goodbye. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, thank you. That was the worst. Obviously, you're getting the signal.